The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to The Waking Dream, a poppychuloradio.com original series. Poppychulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, August 8th, 2022, and I am your host, Vincent Hatcher. During this podcast, we will be waking up from our dream and analyzing via an in-depth discussion Netflix's The Sandman. Please welcome my host from the depths of your mind, Jeffrey Aruz. I am emerging from a waking dream. And Priscilla Obregón. Oh, I didn't come up with a cool opening. Hey, everybody. <laughs> you could have been from a nightmare. Maybe. Maybe she came from my nightmare and I came from hers, and that's why every week in other podcasts we use each other's number ones. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I like that. That's a callback to something the listeners have no idea about, and I love it. Yes, yes. <laughs> if you're interested, listeners, check out any of our many other podcasts where Priscilla and I and Jeff talk about other shows. But let's talk about The Sandman. So before I dive into the synopsis, for any of you listeners who just happened to see it on Netflix and didn't know anything about it, I just want to give a little brief history. This is a long time coming. Sandman started as a comic book series by Neil Gaiman and other artists. And ever since the 1990s, there has been talk about a possible media adaptation. First, it was in film. And it went through quite a few different iterations, and it always ended up being a little bit of a crapshoot and not working out and ending up in development hell. And TV iterations were rumored and long gestating but never came to play until now, here on Netflix, we have this. So it's really exciting. It's an amazing transition. But was it going to be great? Was it going to be awful? We're going to find out because my co-host and I are going to discuss it. So episode one was called... The Sleep of the Just. And our synopsis says, While searching for an escaped nightmare in the waking world, Morpheus falls prey to Roderick Burgess, an occultist looking to summon an imprisoned death. Dun, dun, ah! I had to make my noise a little different from Jeff. Just slightly. So let's get initial reactions. This is a huge thing that we are about to go on this journey about, and... One of our co-hosts knew a lot about Sandman, and one of them didn't. So for initial reactions, Jeff, let's start with you, because this was your first experience with Sandman, wasn't it? What was your initial thoughts and reactions to the show? It was fascinating. Uh, It was incredibly cinematic. It was beautiful to look at. It was really interesting, just because uh, it started off in... A way that I guess I wasn't expecting. I mean, let's be real. I had no idea what I was expecting because I am not familiar with this property. I am familiar with Neil Gaiman's work. I was a fan of American Gods, even that final season that was incredibly polarizing for the American Gods fandom. But uh, I I did cheer that series as, as long as I could. And so I figured we would get something in that sort of vein ish. But the fact that we got a really neat exposition-y narration at the start to introduce us into this world was really nice. The rest of it was, I mean, it was fascinating to watch, but I was like, where are we going with all of this? I'm not saying that in a bad way, in a good way, of course. And what a journey it's going to be. (laughs) Someone who might be able to speak to that, a little bit is Priscilla, because if I remember correctly, you knew a little bit more, if not a lot more about the show before it became a show, right? Oh yeah. I've been following it forever since it's been in development hell. And 
I've been following the comic since uh, they introduced Lucifer to it, since I got really into the show Lucifer, and I was like, I need to know everything about this, I need to know what world he's from, so when I found out that it's associated with another comic, I just started, like, binging the comics, and, oh, God, this was everything my dreams wanted and more. Like, it was visually appealing, like... Is it weird to say it's better than the comics because the art itself is better and more fancy? Like, I like no, it. It's not weird at all because I thought the same. I'm like, I feel bad about saying that about the comics, but <laughs> absolutely. I, as someone who has followed the Sandman world and the Endless ever since I was like 14 and I discovered them as a lonely little goth boy in Maryland and they just became this amazing journey reading all of the comics, I always wondered how are they going to make this happen on a tv screen even with modern you know day how much they rely on cgi i was very pleasantly surprised and just enthralled from start to finish with everything that was presented so i am really really excited for us to talk about this and see everyone's opinions on everything that took place beyond just a general overview so let's dive in to what actually happened So the episode opens up, and we have a man just kind of traveling. He's chilling, sitting in a car, and he falls asleep. Next thing, we have a raven flying from the real world into the dream realm. And it is here that we see kind of like a panoramic and traveling view throughout the dream realm, leading up to a mysterious man who is none other than Morpheus, the Lord of Dreams. He is about to head out to chase after a nightmare that has run rogue in the real world. So nightmares in this realm and in this story aren't just things that exist in our minds. They can manifest themselves as corporeal beings in the real world and run amok. And the Corinthian, one of his most dangerous creations, is doing that exactly right now. Now, Morpheus is warned by his trusty advisor, Lucienne, not to do this because in the real world, dreams don't fare as well as nightmares, but he's stubborn. And he says, you know what, I'm going for it because I have to do this. I need to get this taken care of and stop him. So Morpheus travels away. And we go back to the doctor, our friend who was asleep in the car, who pulls up in front of what I would like to say is what I always pictured the house and flowers in the attic would look like. (laughs) This mansion in the English countryside. And the doctor knocks on the door, a little kid answers, and he says that he's there to visit Roderick Burgess, a renowned magician. And he's taken into the house, which is a little creepy, a little bit awkward. There's a little bit of a ritualism juju going on in one of these side rooms. And then we meet Roderick himself, played by Mr. Lannister himself from Game of Thrones, Charles Dance, who does an amazing job. And... We have a little bit of an interaction between the doctor and Mr. Burgess about how they both lost their sons, and it was tragic, and they both would love nothing more than to get them back. And the doctor, we find out, has something that Burgess wants, which is a book that has a spell that will allow him to summon death and capture death so that they can demand the return of their children. Boom, boom, boom. Spooky fingers. So... We have this preparation going on. We got some creepy, kooky cowls and hoods and candles and a procession and everything down into the basement. The ritual starts, and we get a feather. We get some other items, and we get a little bit of a crescendo as the spell starts taking place. We get a shot somewhere else in the world of Morpheus confronting the Corinthian, and he's about to suck the life out of him and turn him back into nothingness, and then bam. Morpheus gets trapped instead of death in that spell, and thus his journey to where this show will go begins. So I want to stop here and kind of talk about everything that just happened, because that was a lot. So Priscilla, what were your thoughts on the opening, the ritual of it all, the introduction to these characters, and how that was all going, and just your initial, like, oh my gosh, what do you think? I loved the introduction to the dream world by in, by having a side character like fall asleep and like lead you through the like a general panning of like the realm of nightmares and like 
the dream world and the castle. Like, it was just, it was beautiful. And I know that we don't really get to keep it very much for very much longer, but the shot that we had, whoever, like, worked hard to make, like, all those pixels look that detailed and glorious and, like, just real, like, you could touch it, like, but still have that kind of, like, ephemeral quality of a dream beautiful good job i props to you and whoever is casting this charles dance and lucian and the corinthian everyone is just perfect in their roles like i didn't expect them to be just so good i was i was amazed at seeing um dream come into the 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 realm of humans and almost like t- make him into like sand again like that just looked it looked scary for a nightmare and i was like dang you've made him look like he's an all-powerful endless being like the way he's supposed to be he's got a presence about him so when you see these like scrub magicians suddenly trap him i was just kind of like dang how how and i saw this little boy and i feel bad for him and but yet like i don't know just everything is so good i I was reeling at this point i was just entranced at what i was watching excellent and jeff i mean i can't really disagree with priscilla i mean it would be fun to but uh but but it was good everything was incredibly fascinating um, I was like, okay, we're just introduced to this man, and then all of a sudden he's captured. And I, I found that incredibly just fascinating. I was like, okay, is this the concept of the show? Like, is he going to be captured? I was incredibly intrigued by what we saw in the beginning, because it just seemed kind of out of nowhere to me. And I was like, how is this going to uh, attach itself to our lead character and it was all really by accident by happenstance by um you know an amateur uh spellcaster not really knowing what he's doing although feeling like he knows what he's doing i was gonna say the magus might be offended to hear you call him an amateur well i mean he really was (laughs) he wanted to capture uh, the angel of death and got uh, the King of Dreams. Yes. So, yeah, they, they, they did not do what they set out to do, as humans are wont to do. But I agree with both of you. I, I was entranced from the opening dialogue and the panorama of, of everything as they swirled from world to world. And I think what was most captivating for me was Dream himself. They did, as Priscilla said, a phenomenal job casting the characters that we've we've seen so far. And a hands down, Dream was the hardest that I thought that they would have the like the most difficult time casting. But Priscilla, you'll appreciate this. One of my biggest concerns was his hair. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the comics it just looks so like spiky and weird. It, like it yes. kinda looks like Goku if he was driven, drawn by like a child. Like if Goku weird. was drawn by Susie from Susie and the Banshees. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and they did a great job like i'm glad they didn't go glam rock and give him you know the Susie sue metal haircut because he would have looked ridiculous and that was one of the things i always wondered but no they did a great job his hair has like this this little spiky aspect to it and he's very ethereal and ethereal is like the theme that they do very well and that's perfect because that is what these beings are and i think they captured that wonderfully in this whole intro Jeff, I'm really glad to hear that it hooked you because that's what it did to me years ago when I read the comics the first time when I was like, wait, this guy just got captured? Like, wait, what's going to happen? And it really, it reels you in and you become invested in what's happening to him. And as that gets a little bit more complex and a little bit worse, it makes you really feel even worse for him. So I think they do a great job of hitting the heart in this story. So speaking of worse things... And what happens to him? Let's move on. So Dream is now captured. Uh, We have this beautiful moment, and I don't say beautiful in that I liked it, but beautiful because it's tragic, where this all-powerful being is 
obviously not so all powerful because he's been trapped, but he's from the shock of everything, he is unconscious and he is laying in the middle of this golden sigil. And Roderick proceeds to use his other son, which, yes, he had another son who he doesn't particularly care for, but uses him as a slave, basically. He tells him to grab this and grab that and grab and he grabs this. So Dream's tools that he uses, his dream helm, his red ruby. I just made myself sound like I'm not intelligent because I said red ruby when everyone knows rubies are red. Enjoy that laugh, listeners. And his pouch <laughs> of sand. <laughs> and we have this powerful being that is now looking like he was just born, except he's obviously an adult, but he's stripped nude. And he's at the whim of this amateur magician who wants something desperately that Dream says in the narration, I I can't give you, but I'm not going to talk to you because you don't deserve to hear it because you're a butthole for doing this. So what happens now that he's imprisoned? Almost immediately, this illness regarding people's ability or a development of an inability to sleep spreads throughout the world. Every country, everywhere, there are people who are not waking up. There are people who cannot go to sleep no matter how much drugs are invested in their veins. And it's an epidemic that is sweeping every country and is very tragic. And we learn of this through visuals while Dream is narrating. And we're not going to talk about her too much during this, but we are introduced to a character that plays a role down the line, Unity Kincaid. She's the most and only the prominent sleeping sickness victim that we are introduced to who is sleeping in her bed. Her father can't wake her up and they have to call the doctor. And we do get a little bit of a shot of her later down the line, but I feel like it's more appropriate to come back to unity when she gets more story, but just listeners remember her for later. So dream is captured. What does that mean? Well, this means that Roderick now has someone who is very powerful, who isn't who he wanted and he's not very happy. And he tries to confront Morpheus shaking his fist and saying, you give me this and I will let you go. But our boy Morph over here is a little bit stubborn and a little bit proud. And even though we're hearing him narrate, he does not say one single word to Roderick. And so what does Roderick do? Does he let him out by the grace of his heart? No, he keeps him. In fact, after a visit from the Corinthian who finds Roderick, and tells him who Dream actually is and what he can do to keep him imprisoned, Roderick builds an immense crystal ball prison cage that is inside the sigil that was trapping. So Dream is basically powerless, naked, and trapped inside a crystal ball and on a 24-hour guard rotation with guards who are given steroids to stay awake. And that is his life for the next quite a few amount of years. And Roderick takes the belongings, the sand, the ruby necklace, and the mask, and begins to use them to make himself powerful, rich, and everything that he can get out of them. So let's stop here and kind of talk about, again, what everything that happened. Because we had the introduction, and then now we have a continuation of the tragedy, and we have how Morpheus is being treated. We get to learn a little bit more about Roderick's character and what he wants and what he does. So, Jeff, how did you feel about the way this all went down? Once again, I was along for the ride because I had no idea what the hell was happening. Because I was like, is this the series? Is this the series? Is he captured? Like, I was very confused because I, well, I had no idea what the hell this was about. So I was like, where are we going with this? And we're like in the early 1900s. And are we going to catch up to present day? Like, what is happening right now? I will say this. Um, the man, because I'm not going to, I'm going to call him by his government name, Sir Roderick. He was just horrible. I mean, just a power-hungry man that clearly only cared about his oldest, his eldest son, and not the the one that's alive, the younger son um the the dynamic between father and son roderick and alex was incredibly fascinating to watch i have a lot to say about alex but i can at the moment but i will say young alex i really felt bad for um you could tell he felt trapped um i have no idea what it's like to have siblings because i'm an only child 
but I do know that, you know, there are some families out there that, you know, they, they have a favorite. And clearly, in this family, the one that died was the favorite. And so, uh, Alex was unfortunately looked over and uh, treated like shit. So, I felt bad for the kid. Uh, Roderick was a piece of work. And... Um, yeah, I mean, just watching Dream act, you know, the actor acting, but silently. Like, it was just emoting facial expressions and that sort of thing. It was incredibly fascinating to watch because, as you said, Vinny, he doesn't say anything. Like, he does not respond to any of Roderick's demands. So it was just seeing how he said a lot by saying nothing. I agreed. I absolutely agree. It, it it was phenomenal. But I will save my opinion for a moment. Miss Priscilla, what did you think of Roderick and Alex and the house and the power and the necklace? As soon as Dream fell, I was like, shit, they're going to take his items, aren't they? They're going to take that mask, they're going to take that ruby, and they're going to take his cloak too and which wasn't necessary to take the cloak because the cloak has like no powers but apparently like they're like well no we're gonna leave you naked and weak but even though he's like just a frail looking like like, like he's supposed to be frail looking and like ephemer- ephemeral and stuff like that like he still projects his power in all of his scenes even though he's silent which I loved and you have to imagine like you're going up against a guy who played a Lannister a guy who's been like in so many film and TV productions and is like really 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 good at projecting power and prestige and you look like you're the one in power You, even though you're trapped that takes a ton of like acting prowess and I I loved that but and I, again the same way Jeffrey said I felt so bad for Alex I was like oh this kid is probably getting beat by his dad too and it's later shown that like he's being beat with a cane and I'm like dang he really doesn't like you for not being the other brother and it's tragic because you're like you you're missing out on enjoying your son because you're so obsessed with getting your other one back and he's never coming back but apparently the magus is not going to be amused by things like that and is going to try his damnness to make dream do something for him so he demands that he bring him his son back or bring him power and youth and things that dream just can't do tom sturridge priscilla called you frail (laughs) (laughs) well he does he looks he looks like a fairy in that in that bottle like like those those old um crystal globes that had like fairies in them that were sold like in department stores and things like that that's what he looks like. Yes, and they made him very pale. I had to actually look up the actor, and I was like, okay, he's not that pale. But they did a good job of making him pale because that adds to sort of like the etherealness of the situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, the poor, poor dream. I mean, just butt naked in a glass orb. I mean, and that, you know, that thing was completely uncomfortable. And, I mean, we're not even going to go into how many years he was there. But, like, that was uncomfortable. Like, the poor man. Right? <laughs> and can we just take a moment? I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I did. Like, I think, like, they did some phenomenal physics with the creative obstruction of his nether regions. Like, they their camera work was spot on because he wanted was to make sure. Yes, they wanted to make sure they didn't show the junk. I noticed yes. that later on there's a moment where he's walking and I was like 
what are we doing here? Like, are they going to do full frontal <laughs> on Netflix? But then they did a whole bunch of like, he had to crouch in like a weird position. And I was like, yes. that is not what like a human would do. But I guess because you're the king of dreams, you can crouch however you want to do. But they were <laughs> clearly trying their best to show that he was nude, but also not show the stuff. Yes. And I think for me that they they went so far as to have the creative angles because you really do get to see pretty much every shot of his body at one point. And it just adds to the vulnerability of the character and adds to the gravity for me of the acting that was done by him. As as you both mentioned, like there was not a single word spoken between him and Charles Dance, but his acting was so good that at moments I'm like, wait, did he actually speak to him? No, he didn't. And it was just really, really well done, and I absolutely adored it. I think it was really well executed. The tension between them was almost palpable. And can so I also missed... just really quick yeah. give props to the voice that Tom Sturridge is using for the character? I'll be honest. I'm not familiar with the actor, so I don't know if that's how he actually sounds in other shows or films that he's been in. But uh, the the gruffness in his voice when he was doing the narration, I thought really sold uh, us, like, what he was going through. Even though he wasn't saying anything to any of the characters in the scenes. Like, the voice work that he did to sort of give Dream's voice its own distinctive character was really good. I agree. There, there's almost like a languid indifference in his tone when he's narrating, where you really do kind of feel like you are listening to the thoughts of an immortal being, who in reality, like these 10 years or whatever years that he goes through in the, in the stuff that we've already talked about, is just a blink of an eye. But he does have a really, really amazing voice for this, and it, it I was hooked on it. So our friend Dream... Does he get lucky? Nah, not yet. Unfortunately, his time in the prison continues. Roderick becomes known far and wide as being influential and powerful to the point that he's got flappers and others just sitting outside of his front porch hoping that a now older Alex will let them in. So we fast forward and we see Alex, who is a young man now, and he has clearly not improved his lot in life because he's caught reading a newspaper and forced to go pick up everyone's coats and then act as a referee outside for those who want to come in. So things have not improved for our friend Alex much at all, and he's not the happiest. But he gets a little bit help from a new character named Ethel who helps him get everyone that he wants gone to go, and we meet Ethel Cripps who quickly worms her way into Roderick's good graces and becomes a part of this little motley crew that are imprisoning Dream down below. And we get a glimpse at what things are looking like now that this has become an everyday thing for Roderick and Dream. There's a whole facility set up in the basement. There are guards on rotation. There are just all sorts of contingency plans, it looks like, set up to ensure that he is watched at all times and he can't escape. And Roger continues to say, I want this, I want this, he's not getting it. Well, Alex has a little bit of an interesting connection to, to Dream. And he feels bad for our friend Morpheus. And we, we've had a couple of moments so far where they seem to have a connection. And Alex volunteers when two guards want to break and get away because the relief isn't there to be the one to go down and watch over Dream. And he begins to have this heartfelt conversation even though it's one way, saying, if you do this, I'll let you out, or my father will let you out if you just give him what he wants. And if it was in my power, I'd let you out. But then Daddy walks in, and Alex, unfortunately, gets a caning. Well, he's about to, because one of our characters from earlier in the show who's popped up now and again, Morpheus's raven, Jessamie, has been staking these guys out, waiting all this time to find the right opportunity to free Dream, or at least to find him. So, while this is all going on, he's about to beat his son. Roderick looks up and sees Jessamy at the window. So he runs away to go after her, 
And Jessamine's a clever little bird. She does a few little incognito tricks and picks up a match and sets a fire on the couch to distract everyone. And Rob, your cousin, found her yet. But he did tell Alex, I want you to shoot that bird if you really mean that you support what I'm doing. And so Alex and Roderick are looking for her. Jessamy sneaks her way down. She finds Dream. And they have a very heartfelt, visual, eye-to-eye reunion. And Jessamy comes over and starts pecking on the glass to see if she can make any damage. And as she's pecking at the glass cage... She explodes in blood and feathers as Alex shoots her, and she is dead. It is a very gory shot. It is very visually uh, just striking and stunning. And hands down to the actor once again, because the visual portrayal of the sadness of this character seeing their friend destroyed was amazing. But I won't get into my thoughts about it. I I did want to take a moment here so we can breathe a little bit and talk about Jessamine and everything that led up to her untimely demise. Priscilla, talk Raven to me. How did this all make you feel? I knew what was going to happen. I knew. But a part of me still felt heartbreak when I saw him, when I saw Jessamine, like, just explode, basically. I was like, no! Dream, you had a chance! And Jessamine, you were such a good Raven! Although, after seeing the entire episode, I was like, why didn't you go back to the dream realm and tell somebody that he was there so they wouldn't talk, think that, he, that he'd abandoned them? Instead, she stayed with right. him. It was, it was a terrible plan. Terrible. But well, still, brain. like... Ah, bird brain. <laughs> <laughs> that was corny. But still, ah, <laughs> oh, God, I felt so bad. And a part of me, like recognized who the who the flasher what the the not the flasher the flapper was that's that an he, entirely different show priscilla <laughs> well i mean what was morpheus doing in the damn you know <laughs> he was an involuntary oh okay true but yeah i, I recognized her but and I knew that Alex wasn't gonna like be with her, but there was still a connection between them. Like he understood why she was there, and it wasn't romantic, but it was like wistful, almost like he wished he could be her, like and loved by his father, like something like that. There was just there was a connection between them, and I really liked how that was played out. Yeah, and Jeff. What were your thoughts about the Raven and everything that led up to her? That is so Raven. Okay, uh, Jessamy was a down-ass bitch. Alex, at this point in his life, was a pussy-ass bitch. I disliked Alex in this section. And I, I was, like, feeling for him at the start. Like, when he was talking to Morpheus, to Dream, and he was like, Oh, you know... I I could free you, you know, if you just did this, he'll free you, like, it would all be okay, and this, that, or the other, and I was like, okay, that's nice, and then, you know, Papa comes in, and then ruins everything, and I was like, just stand up to this geezer, like, what the fuck can he do, like, really, you grab that cane and beat him with his own cane, I don't know, I was expecting a lot from Alex, and I didn't get any of it. And then when he killed Jessamy, I was like, whatever you thought that you had with Dream, whatever connection you had, that shit's dead. You killed, like, his down-ass bitch. Like, that's his friend. Like, that's probably his BFF. Like, whatever. Like, man's best friend, Dream's best friend, was that raven. And you murked the raven in front of his face. And, like, he had the teardrop coming out of his eye. It was just fantastic. Like, the single teardrop. But I'm like, you're not going to get any help from him. Like, you just better hope he doesn't break free because he is going to kill you. And he deserved it. Agreed. (laughs) You know, Alex is an interesting character because 
we're starting to see, I feel like, this transition from, like, I'm a really happy person. Well, I'm, I, I'm happy to let you go out of the goodness of my heart. But the the jessamy of it all was is is a very interesting turn where we start to see that maybe there's a little bit of his father in him after all. The man that he hates, there's a little bit of that in there. And right. for me, yeah, <laughs> the apple does not fall very far from the tree. In England, and, apparently. Yes. And like Priscilla, I knew this was coming. I knew there was a death that was about to happen. But the fact that it was so visceral and that it gouged my heart out is the way that they did it. It affected me as if I didn't know it was happening because it was so stark and it was so tragic. And the way the actor playing Dream just he he exuded sadness. He exuded melancholy and loss. It was phenomenal. And Jeff, what you were just talking about, for me, it was portrayed in him looking at Alex with the dead eyes with one single tear that basically was like, hey, you, you're fucked. Right? It was, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even mention Ethel, but number one, girl, get your hustle on. Number two, you were just some random lady outside and you weaseled your way into um, that man's bed. Uh, I was just like, okay, like I, you know what, I'm not even going to be mad at you. Like you got to do what you got to do in the early 1900s UK, like do what you got to do. Yeah. Ethel was a hustler. That's for sure. She did a, she did a dang stand up job. Like she just insinuated herself and Alex was the right way to do it. (laughs) I don't think she was doing much standing up. No, I don't think she was either. I think she did her uh, intimidation laying down. <laughs> but speaking of Ethel, she is a key player in our next little bit of story as we head into the end. So we get a little bit more of a mini time jump, and Ethel and Roderick are fighting. Alex doesn't know why, and he goes to find out after Roderick comes stomping away like a toddler. And he sneaks into Ethel's room, and she's crying. Her hair is a little bit longer, but she still looks fabulous, I just want to say. And we find out that Ethel is prego with Roderick's baby. Not a spaghetti sauce, a baby. And she is upset because our good old Roderick, because, you know, again, he has a heart of gold. He wants it gone. Nope, cancel my subscription. I'm over your issues. I do not want that baby. Send it back. And she's not too happy about that. So what is Ethel to do? She could stay, have the procedure, and continue living with an asshole who dominates his son horribly and beats her, possibly. I feel like there was like a little bit of hint that there might have been a little bit of that going on. So Ethel does what Ethel does well and makes a decision for herself and she runs away in the night and not only does she run away she takes everything the helm the ruby the sand and the money girl went wild and took roderick for all that he had and well that doesn't make roderick too happy as you can imagine and alex already wasn't too happy to begin with and So they get into a little bit of a fight down near Dream's cage because Roderick was going off on Dream and was going a little bit psycho because he's none too happy about losing everything. Alex comes in, they get into a little bit of a tussle-wussle, and then there is a resounding as Roderick hits his head on the cage. He gets a little woozy, falls down, starts bleeding, And the last words that Roderick says before he dies is he looks at Dream and says, you're never getting out of there. Now, Alex is spooked. Obviously, because he just kind of killed his father. And now we have an interaction between Dream and Alex again. Even though Alex killed Jessamy, Dream looks over at Alex and extends his hand because he knows this is the person, if there ever was one that was going to let it go and let him out, this would be it. So, I'm just going to open it to both of you here. Priscilla, I know you kind of have the the Cliff's notes about it, but looking at this, how did you both think this was going to go? 
because they always take creative license. They could have changed it from the comics. So in this moment when they were reaching out to each other and they shared that look, what did you guys think was going to happen? Anyone can speak up. I didn't think they were going to go away from, they were going to stray from the comics. Like, when it, when, as soon as, like, the bird died, I was like, you're never getting, you're you're never going to get him to forgive you. And with Charles, with Charles Dance's character, I was like, you're going to die. So, I was looking forward to seeing his death. I was like, you're, you've been an asshole this entire time. And I want Ethel to take your money. I want Ethel to take your stuff and I want her to leave you with nothing. And basically like like it all worked all according to Keikaku. Everything worked perfectly. Like, oh God, it was so this was one of the most satisfying parts of the entire episode. I loved it. As someone that does not know the source material, I was like, okay, maybe maybe this is the moment where he finally is able to escape. You know, he can sort of look at him with his sad, dreamy eyes and, uh, you know, take advantage of this moment where clearly Alex is feeling a lot of different emotions, take advantage of that moment, break free, and, uh, you know, enact your own revenge for everything these fucking idiots have put you through (laughs) for the past several decades. It did not happen, but one can dream. Yes, one can dream, and dream continues to dream. Because, unfortunately, there is quite a bit of his father in him, and Alex snaps out of it before he touches the cage and says, I need time to think. Now, I don't know about you two, but when I say I need time to think, I don't mean my entire adult life into my elderly years. Right. But our boy Alex, right? He's clearly a slow thinker because we get another time jump. Alex is now an old man. And now one little thing about Alex that I want to take a side story here is he does get a little bit of happiness because he finds this lovely man who works for them and they clearly become a couple. And that man is there with him in the future and is trying to encourage him. Come on, just let it go. Let's go back upstairs Alex is getting close to super old age, and he's trying one last time to get Morpheus to talk to him. And Morpheus is still giving him the silent treatment, just like he did his father. But there's so much in his gaze that's like, you had your chance. You shot my bird. You didn't let me out after you killed your father. And now here we are. I'm still not going to talk to you. And so Alex gets in his wheelchair with the help of his lover, and they're going to turn and wheel away And Dream is watching them, and something happens that hasn't happened before. There's a smudge in the sigil. Now, anyone who's ever watched a movie with magic, where the magic requires something to be drawn in chalk or any kind of fluid or something, one of the most common rules of magic is if that said drawing gets distorted or smudged or any part of it erased, it can disrupt the entire spell. Now, our buddy Dream notices this, and he actually, which I thought was really interesting, shares a gaze with Alex's partner. And now the partner could have said something, but he doesn't. He just wheels Alex away, and Dream proceeds to finally get what he has wanted all this time. That little smudge allows him to get tendrils of his power outside of the circle, and there is a security guard that has a dream about going on vacation soon, and Dream walks into this dream from the sunlight. The guy is just surrounded by people playing volleyball and people having fun on the beach. He's in a swimsuit, and one by one they disappear, and Morpheus starts walking in a silhouette of the sun towards our man, and Morpheus uses this dream to escape his prison. The crystal ball is shattered. We get a vision of him rising up and levitating to a vortex of gray, black, and white light, and Dream escapes. He is out. He is free. And one last stop that he has to make. Our friend Alex, laying in bed asleep, has a nice little dream where he sees a kitty cat, 
a little black kitty cat walking through his house and Alex starts off old, but then he passes a mirror. He sees his younger self and suddenly he is his younger self and he follows the cat upstairs. Hey kitty, where'd you come from? Oh, you're cute. He thinks he's having a nice dream. But when he gets to the top of the stairs, the cat goes over to a chair and who is waiting for him? But Morpheus. And for the first time, Morpheus talks to a Burgess. And he communicates his feelings rather well. He's not very happy. He's very upset. But he understands Alex did things, didn't do things. And instead of saying he's giving him a punishment, he's giving him a gift. Eternal sleep. And our friend Alex will never wake up again. We see his partner and a nurse trying to rouse him, but he won't wake up and he's in a fitful dream. And that is his punishment or gift depending on who you are for his father and what he did to dream and so dream having enacted his revenge returns to his realm and he wakes up on a sandy area and lucien his attendant runs and helps him up and morpheus says i'm back it's time to get started doing my things again and Lucien looks at him and says that the realm is not what it once was when he was last there. In the time that he's gone, things have taken a turn for the worse, and the gates start to open, and we get to see a little bit of what's going on in the dream realm as we fade to black. So what did we think of the ending? How did we like everything that wrapped up? This was an interesting ride. So... Let's go with Jeff. You can start us off. All right. I do have one question before I give my opinion, because the comic is from the late 80s, early 90s, early to mid 90s. Yes. Was Alex gay in the comics? I, I believe it wasn't really. It's been a while since I've read them. Priscilla, do you know? I think you was. I think so. I believe it was. Okay. I was curious, you know, because it's progressive for a comic book in that time. Um, okay, so they really tried to make, I think, all of us sympathize with Alex. I mean, you make him gay in a time when, you know, he had to be closeted. Then you give him love. And not only is it love, it's interracial love in a time when, you know, that was not accepted. So it's like you give him all this stuff and like we're supposed to feel for him. But he did a whole bunch of bullshit before that. So it's like, am I really supposed to feel for this man? Even though I felt a little bit. But like I was like, I, I'm not going to fall for this because he is a horrible person. He's, he, he was like, I need to think about this. And he spent the entirety of his life doing nothing. He could have free dream. Like that day when he bashed his father against the glass and cracked his skull open, I guess. Right. I, I mean, that was a lot. Um, and he just bled out right in front of dream. Um, I feel like Paul was like, I'm tired of this shit. And he was like, you know what? He's not even going to notice this. I'm just going to smudge this little wheelchair wheel over this sigil. And they gave each other a look like, you know, you saw what I did. And he's like, I saw what you did. He's like, all right, don't hurt me. Uh, and that was really it. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. Alex had a nice little life for him in luxury and that uh that, I don't know if I would say a beautiful mansion, but it was, I mean, I guess beautiful in um, English countryside speak, maybe. Um, but I felt like he got exactly what he deserved. I don't know if we will ever see this character again, but if we do not, then he got exactly what he deserved. And uh, I feel bad for Paul just because I feel like out of this, Paul is going to suffer more than Alex's, because I guess Alex is going to have dreams and nightmares, and that's his suffering, and I'm using suffering in air quotes. Um, Alex is in the world of the living, and I'm not Alex, um, Paul is in the world of the living, so Paul is clearly going to suffer because of all that. So um, that was a little mean dream. 
but uh, but appropriate still, because Alex was a piece of shit. I mean, let's just be honest. When he returns <laughs> to the dream realm, I mean, all of that kind of made sense. It was giving me, like, return to Oz realness in a good way. Return to Oz is a very strange movie, if you've never seen it. Um, as an adult, it's not going to give you nightmares, but if you show it to your children, it probably will give them nightmares. Oh, my it's, God, yeah. It's just bizarre. I mean, you know, talking heads and it's it's strange. But uh, it, it was giving me that. It was like, okay, like, it's all, like, decrepit. And uh, clearly, you know, the the person in charge of this is no longer there, so it's no longer this vibrant, beautiful place. And as you said, we fade to black. And I will say uh, before, because I, I'm, I'm going to guess Priscilla's going to go next, um, the closing credits were beautiful. Um, nothing really spoilery or anything that fantastical, but it was still very kind of, uh, you know, ethereal, dreamy, colorful goodness. Yeah, it, it was visually they did a lot in these last scenes and in the entire episode. And yeah, I, mm, I I'm here for it. Priscilla, are you here for it? What did you think of the big escape, the punishment, the eternal slumber, and the return? Um, I, like, if the last part where Ethel takes the money was my most satisfying part, the part where he gets revenge on Alex, finally, was the second most satisfying part of this entire episode. And I was like, dang, they really managed to cram everything, like, in one episode and not have it be like Stranger Things two and a half hours long. Like, good on them. Like, I loved the interracial relationship. I, I thought it was beautiful. But it doesn't take away from the fact, and he's completely right in saying this, that fucking Alex is a piece of shit. He's like, I have to think on this. What? So, yeah, you take a day to think about this. Maybe appreciate the fact that you can actually dream without dying and that other people are dying around you and actually free the guy who can save them. Maybe he would have shown you some mercy had you done that then. But you didn't even, like, even to the very end when you're in a wheelchair, you still won't free him. Your husband had to do that and hope for mercy for himself. So... Like, a part of me was at, was going to ask, like, what you guys thought, whether or not, like, he knew that Dream was going to get out of his his crystal yes. ball that way. I, I think so. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think 100%. He did that on purpose. If he had not given the look, well, if he had given a, a sort of, oh, shit look, then I would have been like, oh, okay, he didn't know. But he gave, like, a knowing look. Like, he stared right at him. He, like, looked down. He stared right at him. Dream was staring right at him as well. He knew exactly what he did. I think he was tired. Like, he loves his husband, but he was tired of this. Like, he felt like this was probably a weight that has been bogging Alex down forever. But let's be real. It's his own fucking fault. Like, he was the one that decided to continue on with his father's legacy. And, uh, you know... I mean, you got to suffer the consequences. Yep. Completely yeah. agree. And the the punishment, being eternal sleep, is tragic in that, like, he'll never be with his, like, lover again. But it's also, like, not fair because he spent years in a prison. And this guy, what? He's got 10 years left in his life before his old man heart gives up and he dies? Like... That's, that's not an equal punishment. He was merciful to him by giving him eternal sleep for the 10 years that he's got left. Right. But I was going to also say, I loved the credits, but a part of me was hoping for, like, a Disney Star Wars sort of thing where they have the, like, the images that the artists create before, like, the making of. Like, uh, I would have loved to see that. So, oh, yeah. Uh, a little bit disappointed but other than that like great episode i loved it i agree i the ending of this episode you know we got a little bit of the dream realm in the beginning but for me i remember reading the comic and i remember just when he gets back and he starts to see how everything is in disarray and it's bleak and it's gray and it's nasty i i didn't know how two things were going to go his escape and his return 
And my expectations were visually, musically, every way possibly blown out of the water. I really, really enjoyed the that they spent more than just a split second on his escape from the crystal ball. There was a buildup. There was tension. There was the dream of the security guard. There was his escape and the vortex and the shot of him levitating. It kind of looked like an alien abduction. It was so otherworldly, and it was so beautiful. Like, I was blown away. And we get that moment where the gates open in Dreamland, and we see what happened while he was gone. And it really, like, for me, it hit my heart. It was like, wow, because these Endless, they're tied to their realm. And you could see with him, too, that he was so upset to see. And also he was surprised that it had happened this way. And I thought it was a really good place to end the first episode because there are many points they could have chosen, but I'm glad that they were able to give it kind of a finite end to the arc of his imprisonment so that we could go into a new arc of what happens next in the second episode. So we did get kind of an isolated part of the story here with a, you know, a start and an end to one phase of dreams journey. And I absolutely loved it. I, I I was very very just blown away with the visuals and the 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 end of it with Lucien and him coming back. So before we go into MVP, there was a lot that happened in this episode. Did I catch everything? Is there anything that I missed or anything either of you want to mention or bring up specifically? The items I forgot to mention, like. The mask is perfect. I loved how it looked. And the ruby, like, doesn't look like one of those play rubies. Like, it actually looks like something that you could see in the crown. So I loved the what they chose for it. it it's beautiful. Agreed. All right. Well, now... It is that time, my friends, the time to name the MVP. State which character impressed you the most throughout the episode and why. Now, fair warning, once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, you must choose wisely. Hmm, first victim. Jeff, wake up from your dream. Tell us your MVP. It's a wonderful honor to be first. Um, because, like, I go for the obvious choice, and I really want to, but because I feel like I'm not going to see this character again, and as much as I bitched about him, I'm going to give it to Alex, because I feel like all three of the actors were fantastic, from the teeny tiny Alex, to the mid-sized Alex, to the geezer Alex. They all portrayed the character really well even though i do not agree with anything that he did in regards to dream um because he conveyed the or i should say all three of them conveyed such strong emotion from me in in like disappointment and disgust i feel like i have to give him the mvp for this episode plus i have no idea if i'm gonna see him again Probably not. So might as well give the MVP now because the other character that I could give the MVP to is the star of the series. Hint, hint. (laughs) Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Priscilla, who's your MVP? An excellent choice, by the way, Jeff. You gave it to the son, Jeff. I got to give it to the father. He did the best job at making me hate him. Like, there was... (laughs) If, if there was a redeeming quality in, in Alex and showing, like, the love he had for his partner, like, there's no redeeming qualities in this guy. He is just pure asshole. After he lost his firstborn son, he just turned into a prick. And he managed to showcase, like, the haughty, like, overbearing, like, I am part of the lordship, I have all this money and I have all this power and I want more, I want everything, like, greed so well. My god, I love Charles Dance. Like, he is god tier. Perfect. I definitely co-sign that as well. He did a phenomenal job. And I feel like it's a dream come true because 
I almost like you guys were in cahoots and left me my 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 favorite to choose for my MVP because I get to choose my number one. I'm gonna go with Dream, obviously. I have been fascinated by the Sandman character and world for years, and it's always a little bit scary when a character that you've known for so long in one iteration of media transfers into another, and especially live action. And from the very first words he spoke and the very first shot, Sturridge did an amazing, phenomenal, fantabulous job manifesting a character that fans have been clamoring for for years, but he did it almost effortlessly. Everything that he did was fluid and languid and supernatural. His voice, his mannerisms, his eyes, the ability to convey emotion and it wasn't just like one emotion. Like I feel like anyone can kind of look sad with their eyes or surprised with their eyes. But he managed to convey very subtle emotions and feeling because there were a lot of moments where he was silent throughout this episode. But it was stimulating and engaging. His imprisonment made me feel. His love for Jessamy. Everything about this character was executed amazingly. And... It's not because he's the main character. It's because he did a phenomenal job. He really was, to me, the MVP of the episode because he held a narrative that could have very easily fallen apart. He held it together very cohesively as the the centerpiece, and I absolutely loved it. So thank you for not picking him. I appreciate it. You're welcome. We were in cahoots this whole time. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Can you believe, like, you picked a character who didn't speak throughout most of the episode? And he was <laughs> I know. <out>. Jeez. <laughs> hmm. All right. So it is time to rate the episode. So how would you rate this episode if you give it a scale of 1 to 10 Dream Helms? Priscilla mentioned the helm, how awesome it looked. So that is going to be our rating system. So... The point system is allowed. If you found it exceptional, you can give it more than a 10. You can grant it the coveted and amazing Golden Dream Helm. And if you feel like a half point is needed, that is totally fine as well. So let's see. Do, 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 do. Priscilla, what would you rate the episode? So I've been waiting for this show for a long, long time. And I was ready to be disappointed. I was going in with low expectations. And this just blew everything out of the water and went even further than that. It was beyond anything I've ever imagined for for this series. Like, things that, like you mentioned before, little things, like details like his hair, where... You could picture it being, like, it could be anything from dreads to, like, just stuck-up, like, hair that looks like a bad impression of an 80s punk guy. But no, it it just, it looks ethereal. Everything looks perfect. And the actors were prime-grade people. So, yeah, I'm going to give this golden for sure. Straight out of the gate on fire with a golden dream helm. I like it. Jeffrey, what would you give Dreamhelm-wise? Priscilla, how dare you insult the legacy of David Bowie in Labyrinth? <laughs> I was actually going to say that the, the Dream Realm looks like Labyrinth. Does Wow. Dance the magic dance. <laughs> All right. I'm usually the easy raider, but since Priscilla said it, I don't really feel any pressure. Because I was feeling it as well. A golden dream helm from me, too. It was just a fantastic premiere for someone that knew nothing. And I mean nothing about this character, about this world, about this mythos. It was incredibly engaging. It went by like that, and yet I wanted more. Kudos to the cast and the writing. It was fantastic. Ooh, two dream helms. Now, y'all know that normally I'm the persnickety one. I will find something not to like about an episode that I give 
a relatively decent rating. But for once, actually, it's happened before. I'm just being dramatic. It's a golden dream helm, hands down. I, I'm going to end out this rating with a triple gold dream helm to round it out um, with your two. Because as someone who has wanted this for so long, but also been very afraid of how bad, like, let's face it. This was like going on a blind Tinder or grinder date where, like, you have a picture of what the person looks like, but you know it's either going to be really good or really bad. And I had that fear, but within five minutes, that fear was gone. Everything was a, a melody coming together and a visual masterpiece. The casting was wonderful. The acting even better. It delivered on everything that I've been waiting for for years. So I was beyond happy. I was giddy like a little school kid and... I was so here for all of it, and I'm glad that you two were as well. So on that note, it is time for us to wrap up this stream. Join us next time for a brand new installment of The Waking Dream. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us if you would like. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Waking Dream and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, would you please bid our listeners good night? Starting off with Priscilla, then. <laughs> good night and good dreams, everybody. And Jeffrey. Sweet dreams, listeners. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in and subscribe to The Waking Dream via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Thank you, everyone, for joining in and listening to us, and we will see you next time on The Waking Dream. Good night.